from the well of death, from the chasm of silence, from the abyss of pain, come the screams of empty, come the choruses of misery, come the dark tales. Masks of Halloween, part three. After trick-or-treating was finished, Adam's Auntie Selina drove him into the town to watch the parade and fireworks. Are you sure you want to do that? Mom asked. Please, I'd be honoured to take the little monster, Selina said. I wish you wouldn't call him that, Cece, Daddy said. Oh, would you get over it, Sean? His auntie had volunteered to take Adam because both his parents resented Halloween, especially his dad, because something traumatic and tragic had happened to one of his friends when he was just a kid. After the final parade was done, it was time for Adam's favourite part of Halloween. He was even more excited for the firework display than he was to eat the mountain of junk food that he'd collected from his estate. The fireworks would be set off from a boat in the middle of the river to maximise visibility for the onlookers. Tens of thousands of people had gathered along the quay, the opposite coast, and upon the bridge between them. As Adam stood there, on the quay, with his eyes fixed to the dark boat as he trembled with silent expectation, in weight of that first colourful fizzing rocket, Auntie Selina stood over him, beaming. Excited? she asked. Adam nodded. Here, look at these, she said as she handed him what appeared to be a stack of photographs. Once, when he'd gone paintballing for his friend Ronan's birthday, he had to be extracted from the field by a member of staff after being winded by a shot to the stomach. The pain of it had been so fierce that he was unable to walk, and they had all debated on whether or not he required serious medical attention. He'd been fine in the end though, but as he flicked through each of these photos, he felt an echo of that shot over and over again, compounding right in the depths of his stomach until he wanted to be sick. The first photo was of a small mouse strapped to a rocket. The next dozen or so showed squirrels, rats and badgers. It was clear by their elevated heads and limbs that they were still alive and lucid. The final few photos were of small cats and dogs that were also strapped to firework rockets. Adam gazed up at Auntie Selina with watery eyes. He gasped as Auntie Selina snatched the photos back, only now he saw that it didn't really look like his Auntie Selina at all. The face was rubbery and loose, like a mask that was no longer flush. From the little scraps of true skin visible underneath the mask, Adam saw that the face was an unnatural shade of paper white. Adam was about to yell for help when he felt a hand on his back. The real Auntie Selina whirled him around to face her. He hugged her as he heard a fizzing and a popping, followed by a crack, crack, cracking, amid all the cheers and applause. Auntie Selina pointed. You're missing it. Look, Adam, you're missing it. No, Adam said. No, no, no. Why were they cheering? Why were they clapping? Couldn't they hear the desperate animal screams beneath those cracks? When they went off, one after another, relentless as they filled the sky with blood, Adam began wailing, but it harmonised so well with the howling of the fireworks that nobody heard him. Masks of Halloween, Part 4 Lyra filtered out of electric blue after closing time, with her kitty cat costume in total disarray. Despite the fact that the entire town was closing and that most would be declaring Halloween as over, she still had the urge to stay out and party. Her parents were elderly, and often too tired and in too poor of health to take care of Mark and Edna. 
Then there was Shane, her ex, who was next to Eustace when asking him to do his fair share. He seemed to drink every night of the week these days, which meant he was barely even able to watch them on the nights they'd originally agreed to. But her parents were able to watch the kids tonight, and just for tonight, so Lyra wanted to take advantage of this small window of freedom, because who knew when the next opportunity would arise. I'm on it, Polly said. I'll find us a party. No pressure, Lyra said. Polly made an excuse to the bouncers about having forgotten her purse inside, so they allowed her entry. It was only about five minutes later that she re-emerged, her angel costume seeming especially appropriate as she said, I got us something sorted. Already? Lyra asked. Polly framed her heart-shaped face between her hands. Have you seen this face? They can't resist me, toots. She kicked up her back leg. Lyra laughed. Great. Let's keep her lit then. Who are we going with? That's when she was introduced to a fella dressed up as one of the Weasley twins. He had a Hogwarts Gryffindor robe, but didn't need a wig for the rest of the ensemble, because he had a natural mop of red hair. Lyra imagined that he'd probably been teased his whole life for looking like a Weasley, and now he was just leaning into it. Smart. When she asked what his name was, he simply cast a devilish smirk and said, Fred. Is that really your name? Lyra asked. Like, actually, Polly said. My parents were cruel. What do you do then? Lyra said. Dress up as Fred Weasley every Halloween? No, he said, chuckling as if this were a ridiculous question. Last year I went as George. Eventually, Fred signaled them down a taxi and asked the driver to take them to an address, but to first stop at the Acorn pub so that they could all buy a carryout. I'll even let you keep the meter running, he said. You've got no choice in that young man, the cabbie said. The Acorn pub, what with it being the stereotypical old man bar, had a limited selection of booze when compared to a supermarket, off-license, or even someone's fridge. Lyra's only options were cheap beer or even cheaper cider, so she opted for the cider, in hopes that whatever house party they'd be attending would stock some lime cordial so she could make it more palatable. Soon, they left the town behind and entered the suburban outskirts. Then, they left the suburbs behind in favour of rural areas. Finally, they left those behind to drive into what Lyra knew as the back arse of nowhere. Lyra leaned forward to address the wizard in the front seat. Is it too late to ask if you're a murderer? Oh my god, I was thinking the exact same thing, Polly said. It's at least reassuring to know we're on the same page, Paul. Fred laughed. Listen, I know it all seems a bit dodgy. Just a bit, Polly said. But you know these country people. They're all swimming in dough. Trust me, this place is massive. It'll be one of the best house parties you've ever been to. Guaranteed. All right, Lyra said. We'll see about that, Polly said. And indeed, the house that they arrived at was huge. Perhaps four times as big as her sad little council house located in the middle of a terrace street. It was so full of costumed people that not only had they all commandeered the house, but also the huge front and back gardens on top of that. Disco lights could be seen flashing from within the windows, and the music was loud enough even to hear from acres and acres away. What did I tell you, Lyra? Polly said. Never to mix vodka and energy drinks? Not that. I meant, always trust your main gal to sort it out. Fred offered to pay off the taxi and considering the fact that he had friends as wealthy as these and rich people often clung together, Lyra wouldn't lose too much sleep, reckoning that he could probably afford it. Once outside, they followed Fred's lead up onto the veranda and into the massive house. It was promising at the start as they met the son of the homeowners. Terry was dressed up as a very posh, very silky vampire. He told them to make themselves comfortable and to help themselves to the drinks. Lyra did just that 
abandoning her cans of cider in the kitchen and ladling out a cup of deep red punch. The punch was fruity and had a big tequila kick that knocked you right up the teeth. She was enjoying herself in the beginning as she danced under the lights and had fun, but soon it all started to feel very clicky, with a lot of folks sticking to their own groups and monopolising whatever room they find themselves in. Lyra felt like a sore thumb wherever she went. The people within the rooms would pause their conversations at her entry and stare her out until she left. The worst part was when Polly and Fred started kissing and groping each other. Eventually, the pair of them disappeared off somewhere else, leaving Lyra as the lone survivor. And with nowhere else left to go, Lyra soon found herself standing in one of the upstairs hallways, drinking what might have been her third cup of tequila punch. The weirdest thing about the hall was that the lights were dimmer, and at the end of it lay a bright red door. It seemed to be made of metal rather than wood. It was studded with painted red bolts. Sex dungeon, someone behind her said. She jumped, having previously thought that she was alone. What? She asked, spinning around. A tall, handsome man dressed as Zoro said, Sorry, I thought we were guessing what's in there. My mistake. That's okay. Obviously you're along the right track, but I'd say it's more likely to be a torture chamber. Can it be both? I meant the more pulling off your fingernails sort of torture, not the paddling your bum kind. Shame, but that's way too obvious. Everyone knows that you keep your torture chamber in the basement. Is that right? Yeah, sounds less likely to carry that way. Well, we are in the middle of the countryside, with the next neighbour being like a mile away, so nobody's going to hear your screams no matter which floor it's coming from. All right then, Zoro said, before extending a hand. What say we make a bet on it? A bet? What are we putting at stake? Everything. Lyra gazed into his big brown eyes. He was so weirdly gorgeous that it was like he'd been cut out of a fashion magazine, one that had been heavily photoshopped. His jawline, cheekbones and hair were all so pristine it was like he was made from Lego. It was almost annoying, like how dare he be that good looking? Prick. She felt an urge, a curious compulsion to test the door, purely for the sake of scratching that itch of curiosity. Why did man climb Everest? Because it was there. Why did man delve into the depths of the ocean? Because it was there. Why did woman push the red door? Well, maybe it was because there was something in the punch apart from the Kayla, because once again, she didn't really know what rich people were into, and she could swear that she wasn't usually this reckless. Then again, perhaps that was just the effect of a pretty face. He began humming painted black, and the lyrics reverberated around in Lyra's head. I see a red door and I want it painted black. It's probably just a water closet or something, she said. You know these rich people, he said. It could be anything. A virtual reality room, a menagerie, a miniature planetarium. Guess we'll never know. Go on and check it out. I'll be right behind you. Lyra teasingly strutted down the hall, then pressed her palm to the door. She expected it to be locked, expected this to allow her off the hook, but she was amazed to feel it move. Fuck, she said. It's actually opened. Zorro nearly keeled over laughing. When he righted himself, he waved. Go on in then. Go on. No, I can't. Why can't you? Because this is someone else's house. It wouldn't be right. You have to. You owe it to the victims. No, this is stupid. This. And all of a sudden, his face changed. As he charged towards her, she was barely able to yelp barely even able to suck in the required breath to fuel a potential yelp before his hands hit her shoulders. Her feet lifted from the ground as both her head and her back struck the door, letting out a funk before she plunged into the dark room. 
Her arse hit the ground, but she immediately sprung back up like a human pogo stick. She ran to the door and pawed at it. She felt the grooves and bolts, but couldn't find the purchase required to open it. The door was simply too heavy and required too much force to remove it from the latch. Desperately, she began pounding on the door with her fists, demanding to be let out, roaring that this wasn't funny, but she worried that the music from within the house would be too loud for anyone to hear her. Then she heard breathing. When she twisted, she saw something through the shadow. Someone was sitting there on a wooden chair. At first, it was profoundly difficult to see, but as she crept closer and the face became clear, her heart began thudding and her head reeled as she saw a face that she hadn't seen in over six years. Joseph? She asked, feeling as if something thick had congealed in her throat. She hadn't seen her brother's face, besides in videos and pictures, since the day that they buried him. Hello, Lyra, he said calmly. No, she said, shaking her head. It can't be you. You died. The heart defect. Is that what they told you? He laughed, and it was his laugh. It was his familiar, big, goofy chortle. It was unmistakable. She recalled how she had randomly exploded into tears a week after his funeral when it finally hit home that she would never hear that laugh again. No, Lyra. They lied to you. I've been here. I've been here the whole time. She was trembling and crying as she milled forward with the intention of hugging him, but as she closed in and he said, That's it. Come over here. She realized something terribly odd. His lips weren't moving. The sound of his voice was coming from elsewhere. As she hesitated, he laughed warmly again and said, It's okay. Come on here, Lyra. It's all okay now. She followed the sound and spotted that beneath his chair sat a blinking recording device. What the fuck? It's okay, Lyra. It'll all be okay now. The thing that sat on the chair grabbed at its forehead and created a deep fold. Then it peeled the face off, her brother's face, to reveal what lay beneath. The face beneath was as white as bone and as smooth, curved and ridged as porcelain. It was as if the skin had been bleached. The eyes were a burning orange, inflamed, and the lips were stretched back to reveal two rows of enlarged, square teeth. What? Lyra began to ask. Then she noticed them. Now that her eyes had fully adjusted to the darkness, she could see that there were more skin masks hung upon hooks. Among them she saw the faces of Fred, of Terry, of many others who'd attended the party tonight. Even Polly. She twisted around with the intention of trying to open the door again, but all of a sudden, it opened up by itself. In stepped the boy from outside, Zorro, the one who'd pushed her, except now he looked nowhere near as handsome. His face hung loose off another face lurking beneath. The skin was also bleached. The eyes had changed from a soft hazel to a burning orange. Before the scream could erupt from Lyra's mouth, the metallic door slid closed. <laughs>